electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. In for Scott Wapner. Well, the S&P 500 giving up its earlier gains, falling further into correction territory. Is there more to go? More stocks close to a bottom. How will we know? We're going to find out. Plus, what Russia tensions mean for the red-hot energy trade from here. Your investment committee today, and we're going to call them the Flying Jays. Jenny Harrington, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova, and John Nigerian. It's like Wordle, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Everybody, welcome. All right. Before we get to that awesome committee, let's get a check on the markets at this hour and it's not so pretty. It's not horrible, right? But a lot of red on the screen. But you can look in the numbers down a tenth here, five one hundredth of a percent there. Still, the S&P 500 moving deeper into correction. The Dow, NASDAQ, and the 10-year yield all on the move. The 10-year yield still below 2%, but inching back toward that level as well. So let's talk about this. Jenny Harrington, I'm going to start off with you because why not? You know, what do you make of this market? I, this morning on Worldwide Exchange, 5 a.m. Eastern, by the way, I pointed out that there was 193 S&P 500 stocks that are down more than 20% from the recent high. So about 38% of the market is technically in a, quote, bear market. I know that's not how it works, but you get my point. Down more than 20%. Energy stocks, though, they've done okay. Financials are kind of flatlining, although not this week. How do you read this market from a 30,000-foot view right now? All right. Actually, can I start small picture and then go to 30,000 square feet, 30,000 feet? So as a portfolio manager, I have a twisted relationship with corrections and pullbacks, which is I actually like them. And I know that that might sound callous and I know that people are hurting and that we're losing money. But corrections, pullbacks tend to be finite, right? Your investment horizon should be long term. So what these markets do for someone like me is they create opportunity. And right now, my watch list is more robust and more realistic in terms of things that I might be able to buy than it has been in a very long time. So I actually have a kind of spring in my step right now. Taking the bigger picture view, I don't think my perspective on what's going on right now has changed really since September, which has been I've expected the first half of this year, the end of last year, I was wrong on the end of last year, but the first half of this year to be messy. We have hard things going on. We have QE ending. We have tightening starting. We have the Fed probably rolling off their balance sheet. We have geopolitical tensions that are pretty rough right now. And interestingly, when I looked back at our year-end letter and we said to our clients, like, here are things that we're worrying about for next year. Russia, Ukraine wasn't even in there. And that was a good reminder for me that whatever the trigger of the next correction and pullback is, you frequently don't know. The things that you do know are not the ones that actually end up getting you. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, hey, you know what? For whatever reasons there are that's happening, it's pretty healthy right now. What we're seeing is yeah. we're seeing valuations start to reconcile, right? We had things that were at 80 times that didn't make sense. We had things that were at 10 times that didn't make sense. Both of those are coming to center. Um, so I'm feeling reasonably good about what's going on. It seems healthy. It seems 
um, methodical. Yeah. It seems rational. It's not great. People don't like losing money, but it's a healthy, it's a well, healthy, um, I don't know, sequence that we're going through. Well, it's, it's, and John Najarian, I mean, first off, you know, it's, no one's losing money yet if they haven't sold. On paper, you can look at it and be like, oh my God, my index is down or whatever it is, but if you haven't sold, right? And I know that there's an old saying in the commodity pits of Chicago where you cut your teeth. I think it was Everett Clip was the guy who said a small loss is a good loss, meaning you didn't take a big loss and maybe you learned how to make money. We got millions of new investors watching CNBC, going on Market Rebellion, right? that are learning, oh my gosh, stocks can go down. To Jenny's point, this is not all unhealthy. Right. Uh, it's not all unhealthy, Brian, but it's certainly uncomfortable. Uh, to Jenny's point, I know you made that point, Jenny, and you're absolutely right. Uh, none of us want to make light of the idea that uh, people are hurting, that they're looking at their account every day and they're just saying, oh my God, let's just stop the pain, shall we? Like hitting yourself in the head with a hammer. But don't do that, right? Don't so do that. When you, yeah. It feels so good when you stop, Brian. Um, what's going to stop it? When I look around, you know, the fact that we're into this correction territory that you've mentioned and CNBC has been doing a good job staying on top of that, uh, that's truly one of the things that we're looking for. Um, is, is for us to get into that territory and then see if we can bounce back out of it. Unfortunately, with the rhetoric uh, as well as the intelligence briefings that we're getting almost on an hourly basis, it's really difficult for the market to gather itself here, Brian, when you think that in all likelihood we will see more of the same going forward for the next days and perhaps weeks, hopefully not months. Um, when I looked out at the, uh, the VIX constellation and I look out all the way to July, we're at 27 to give the viewers a, a, a metric against that, um, back in November, before Omicron breakout was basically the end of November, and you know another new strain. Oh my, uh, we were more like 16. So getting up to 27 and going all the way out to July tells us people are preparing for a long slog of higher volatility. Now, uh, again, I think that will yeah. create opportunities. It is already. And you know, Brian, that in all likelihood, energy is going to be one of those places where you just want to stick with it, stick with it, stick with mm -hmm. it, because nothing that I'm seeing right now implies that yeah. energy is going anywhere but higher. Well, don't, yeah, well, yeah. And, and don't jump the show, Nigerian. We got more on energy coming up, by the way, and a lot more to talk about. Okay. Uh, uh, Jim, I'll go to you okay. now on this, because, listen, uh, 1994. And we, we don't want anybody to pretend they're geopolitical experts, right? I was an epidemiologist yesterday. Now I'm a Russia expert today. 1994, <laughs> we guaranteed Ukraine's protection and sovereignty if they got rid of nukes. 2014, right, we, we basically gave them some money. They had an election and sort of an anti-Russian uh, president was appointed. It caused a lot of consternation and lives were lost. There's nothing new about what necessarily is happening here. President Obama was very clear at the time, it's not worth American lives, that we're going to give some money, but they're, they're sort of on their own in this. I only bring up that history because while this may be a little more serious, I am still struggling with my pea brain, I guess, to connect the dots between what's happening in the Donbass region and why Microsoft's valuation would fall by 25%. 
Well, well, well put, uh, Sully. In 1994, my goodness, you have me going back to submarine days at sea in the North Atlantic. That was a long time ago. And, and I think perspective here matters because I don't think it's going to be 28 years before we look back on this Ukraine, Eastern sovereign, whatever you want to call it, and wonder what the heck that was all about. Perspective matters. Two months from now, do we really think we're going to be worried about what's going on in the eastern region of Ukraine? I don't. Okay, let me be clear. I don't. The market's in a correction. And when a market is in, in a correction, the here and now is what matters. And people always think it's going to be something worse. And people are now saying, oh, a recession is nigh. No, it's not. No, it's not. Calm down, folks. Okay, you've got infrastructure. You've got corporate capex. Do you think Intel is going to delay that plant in Ohio because of Ukraine versus Russia? I don't. Do you think Taiwan Semi is going to delay its plant in Arizona? Excuse me, in Texas because of what's going on in Russia, Ukraine? I don't. You've got jobs aplenty. You've got supply chains starting to uncork. We've just got to get through what John referred to as a few weeks here. Uh, Probably once the Fed makes its move March 15th, we get that out out of the way by then russia and ukraine will have some clarity i think this correction is over by the second half of march but right now what you got to do buckle your seatbelt. do not sell here that's the wrong move too many good economic things to sell right here yeah yeah it caught me scratching my chin this is how i think by the way i scratch off the makeup on my chin joe terranova <laughs> do you agree with that do not sell here Well, I've been talking on the network about the frustration of a time correction, and everyone so far has talked about marking time. I think what we are are not communicating strongly enough is that this is a market of stocks. Let's stop talking about the stock market itself. And I think there's been this dynamic shift in 2022, and a lot of investors, particularly retail investors, probably aren't going to like it. But guess what? We've gone back to this stock market being your parents' and your grandparents' stock market. Stop looking at the non-profitable technology and consumer discretionary names that are down 60%, 70%. They're not coming back. Look at Roblox. Look at Twilio. Just in the last two weeks, Twilio, a stock that you would suspect with the strength of its fundamentals would be able to have some form of a recovery. That stock is down 25% just in the last two weeks. You see, Brian, the problem is this. I talked yesterday about the penalty box. The penalty box is real, and you've got to place stocks in the penalty box. And it's now time to look at stocks while you're marking time that your parents and your grandparents might have owned, whether it's a Verizon or a Kraft Heinz or an Archer Daniels Midland or some of the money center banks like a a Citibank or Wells Fargo. The names that the last couple of years the market paid a premium for, the liquidity is being removed. And when that liquidity is being removed, those stocks aren't coming back. And you have to understand that dynamic shift. Hey, Sully, can I I respond to that? Go ahead. Yeah, because it's a really good point. It's something that's been on my mind, all right? Joe makes a good point here. This isn't supposed to be an easy business. The four of us on the show and the five of you, including Sully, we didn't get here because it was easy. Between the four of us, there's at least 100 years of experience. There's a lot of credentials. There's a lot of analytical firepower. And what happens when money is free, when the Fed keeps interest rates at zero, is it looks easy. 
And now we learn this is actually a profession. The four of us didn't need to know that, but some of the investors who are learning that the hard way, you have to understand this is a profession with expertise and experience involved with it. I, I like what you're saying there. And, and Joe, I'll come back to you very quickly because you mentioned time. By the way, my favorite quote, men talk of killing time while quietly it kills them. In other words, giddy up to scope yep. the great Pete Nigerian. Uh, so what, what are we doing? Are we picking up then some of these stocks, the Verizons of the world that you're buying them for your kids. You're not buying them for tomorrow. So, no, 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 no. I, I, I disagree. I disagree with that, Brian. There, there are stocks right now in, in the a question. market. How do you disagree with a question? <laughs> well, well, I because you're, you're not, you're not buying them for your kids. <laughs> you're not buying them for your kids. You're buying from your portfolio. I'm looking right now at my sheet. Okay. You ask, what are you doing in the market right now? What I've done in the market is reshape my portfolio. And by the way, in reshaping it, I'm not going to come on air and say it's been a winning exercise. It's been a, an exercise of cutting losses, an exercise of giving up field goals and trying to score touchdowns. But if I look at my holdings right now, P.E., NVIDIA, has the highest P.E. of all the stocks I own right now at about 60 I've been getting stopped out a lot lately. NVIDIA, I have a 220 stop. I'm sure they're coming for me. The next highest PE I have is Nike at 38. Then I look at beta exposure. Goldman Sachs at 1.28 is the highest beta exposure I have. So what I'm doing yeah. is I'm taking down the characteristics, the risk profile of the stocks that I want to own. I want a lower beta exposure and I don't want the astronomical valuation because you're not going to get rewarded in an environment where liquidity is being taken away. Yeah. Jenny, I'll give you a last point on this before we move on to a bearish bet segment. What, again, kind of follow up on everything you've just heard, add your points. So I think it's interesting when Joe says he's reshaping his portfolio, because what I immediately thought was it depends on what kind of investor you are. And if you have as long term a horizon that I, as we do at Gilman Hill and you are not trading oriented and you're not momentum focused, then you're not reshaping your portfolio right now. Right. Like these portfolios that we manage were designed five years, 10 years ago, 15 years ago to get through this kind of environment and to just methodically put one foot in front of the other, plot along, plot along. Sure, some years like 2000, um, 2019 when the market's super hot, we had a great years, but we underperformed the market. Last year we had great years too, and but they're not all in line with the market. And so you just know that some years you'll outperform, some years you'll underperform, and you just plod along. So we're not reshaping because the portfolios were designed to get through any yeah. kind of environment without worrying about bankruptcies, without needing to pivot. And so I was really thinking, you know, it depends on who you are, what kind of investor you are, what you want and need from your portfolio. Um, personally, you know, I'm kind of enjoying this environment. There's opportunities, but it's not pivoting or restructuring. So I think I just hear this all, and I'm like, different strokes for different folks. It depends on what kind of investor you are, how you're, you know, how you're positioning and what you're doing right now. Yeah, somebody called Mrs. Garrett for the investing for the long term. All right, meantime, guys, check this out. The Wall Street Journal pointing out that bearish bets against the market are surging. Imagine that. Short sellers have been adding to their positions against the S&P 500 ETF at the fastest rate in nearly a year. So, John Nigerian, market rebellion. You're the options expert. I want to ask you this. Has the market gone down because they are betting against it, or are they simply piling on a market whose bias is already to the downside, or C, yes? <laughs> uh, the latter. Uh, yes. 
No, uh, they're riding momentum. Took the easy Ryan, way out, Nigerian. Uh, <laughs> well, they're they're riding momentum, um, and that's what you should do. You, I mean, you don't want to bet against the Fed, and you certainly don't want to bet against momentum. The momentum has been to the downside, and we talked at the top of the show. What's going to stop that uh, momentum to the downside? Well, you know, now that we're into that correction territory, Brian, now we've got a chance at least. Because we were so close to it, we had to get down into it to that 10%, you know, whatever, 480 on the SPY, down to 426 or whatever. Uh, we needed to get into that area. And then the market can decide, really. Are people going to do, as you said, throw out the baby with the bathwater? Are they going to say, well, Apple's got to go down 25%. Microsoft's got to go down 25%. No, they don't. Quite frankly, uh, to Jenny's point, those are shopping list calls that even though they're two of my biggest positions, I would add on those stocks because, again, reoccurring revenue, Brian, do I think, to Farmer Jim's point, that people aren't going to continue to upload their photos to the cloud, that the companies that are using Amazon and or Microsoft Cloud or Google, for that matter, are going to stop doing it? No. Yeah. Um, no matter what's going on in Ukraine, they're not going to stop. So I think uh, the momentum that you talk about, the people that have been buying those puts have either been A, prescient, B, smart people jumping on momentum, or C, perhaps, Brian, since you gave me three, um, people that are getting in late to that short party. I've already seen puts today that went from 35 cents to tripling on those puts, and now they're back down to only being wow. Um, a double on the day. So that might mean that you are catching some people who are coming in late. Maybe we get a little bit of a bounce here. I don't know how sustainable that bounce is. Are they going to get burned, you know, John? Again, I mean, for, or, I guess. Yes. John, I guess fourth. Yes, I, I, I guess D, the fourth, the answer could be they're members of Congress who know what's going to happen in Ukraine. I'm kidding, <laughs> sort of. Uh, no, but I mean, well, are they, yeah. they the going to get the door hit on them on the way out? Well, Brian, you talked about 1994, and we promised Russia at that time, too, as well as Ukraine, that we would not continue to expand uh, NATO to surround them. And then we've gone back on that promise. Am I surprised that the Russian leader is pushing back against that? Not at all. I think somebody at some point would push back against that because, you know, we're putting them in a box yeah. and they don't like being in a box. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that that's the reality, Brian. So I think some of the people that are getting in late will probably get shaken out, and then we'll get another shot at seeing exactly if we can stabilize. Yeah, well said. John Nigerian, thank you. All right, let's move on. In the meantime, Bank of America says that technology is still in what they call growth purgatory, like some sort of investing Dante's Inferno but that some tech stocks have indeed bottomed. So, Joe Terranova, uh, your take on the, on the tech call, tech purgatory, but some indeed have bottomed. Would you agree with that note, uh, old Italian novels aside? <laughs> well, that's called growth at a reasonable price. And yes, some, some aspects of technology that's a different have uh, bottomed and some... And some are in the process of bottoming right now. Um, I think when you're talking about technology, what you're seeing uh, certainly is this bifurcation where the, the FANG names uh, and the, the mega cap equity names are the names that investors still want to kind of gravitate towards because they have 
that free cash flow generation. They have the strong revenue growth and operating margins and strong capital allocation strategies. But consistent with my opening comments, I think there's other aspects of technology that no, I, d- I don't think they're coming back anytime soon. And I think the reasoning behind that is that they need, they need that liquidity. They need, uh, they need in terms of economic growth to see something different than what's happening. We haven't talked about so far the, the yield curve, which is continuing to flatten. I think a two to 10 is about 38 basis points right now, which is the flattest it's been since Q1 of 2020. So that's not exactly uh, an, an environment that's going to nourish a lot of that non-profitable technology. So it goes back to quality. Stay high yep. up in quality in technology, and I think you'll be okay. Let's talk about, Jenny, I want to talk about Facebook, because Facebook's had a tough, meta, whatever the heck they call it this week. Uh, it's had a tough run. These are names that, by the way, a lot of people in halftime have liked over the over the years. If you liked it before, do you got to kind of love it now? I mean, I'm not sure what's fundamentally changed for Mark Zuckerberg and company. I know the growth, they have 2 billion plus users. The growth may not be there, but man, it's a cash cow. Well, actually the growth I think is is there, which is interesting. So we've owned this, we've owned it for a long time. We still have a big gain in it. Um, but the conversation has been, you know, do we love it now? Do we add to it? Um, and that's been a tough conversation. I think where we are is we like it a lot. The growth is still there on the top line. The bottom line is a little bit more, we're just not as sure as we were before. And I think when you say, you know, the story hasn't changed, I think it only has changed in that we're not as sure what earnings growth will be like. And we're not sure, you know, if the whole meta thing and all the money that they're going to spend on it is going to work as well as it should to drive future growth. But where we are is, yes, we will likely add to it maybe not huge. We are comfortable with our position. We are definitely not selling it. We believe that top line growth is there um, and that it's a really strong company with, as you pointed out, 2 billion. I actually thought it was a little bit higher than that. Average daily users, which is just incredible. And meanwhile, it's trading at, I think, like 14 times earnings, 14 or 15 times earnings right now. So it's pretty compelling on just a straight up numbers basis. Um, it's, It's hard though, because as Joe was talking about before, like, when momentum swings, you don't really know what that behavioral side is going to do. But when we talk about things that have bottomed, my guess is that Facebook, Meta, sorry, Meta has, has bottomed. Call it Facebook. I, Jenny, I'm still calling it Google. They got a oh, parent you. company, but we'll just call it by the name. That, yeah, why not? We can call it whatever you want. Call me Pete. It's fine. All right, let's move on to energy here because this is, you know, I'm hosting the show today, so we're just going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about energy. Yes. All right, the tensions over Russia and Ukraine, you, by the way, you might have heard about these over the last, you know, eight years, putting the spotlight further on energy and commodities. Oils hanging around the $92 a barrel mark. It's up 50% in a year. And oil stocks, they've had a great year. In fact, five new 52-week highs yesterday. Stocks like Hess. The only non-oil stock that hit a new high yesterday, Joe Terranova, was actually General Dynamics. A def- imagine that in 2022, six new highs in a weak market. Five of them are drilling for dinosaur juice, and one of them makes missiles. That's kind of where we are right now. Listen, we've seen a big pop of the XOP, uh, the OIH, individual stocks like a Hess. Any of these that you still see opportunity in? I do. Uh, Pioneer Natural Resources, EOG, ConocoPhillips, uh, One Oak. These are the names in the energy sector, Devon Energy, that I think will will still see uh, strong profitability. And again, there there right now is this management focus on the share price, Brian, and you know that very well. 
uh, until there is a reversal in a lot of the policies that have been implemented by President Biden and his administration, there really is not that incentive to take the incremental dollar and invest it at the wellhead. Now, you might believe or suspect that there will be a, a reversal in those policies. And when ultimately that comes around, then I think you're going to be taking uh, a second look at these energy names. But for the moment now, uh, no, there, there clearly isn't any reason to move away from having energy exposure to the type of names I'm suggesting. Yeah. I, I'm going to get a little political here because why not? I'm sitting here and I'm tired. But uh, Jim, to, to Joe's point, I mean, uh, <laughs> the president is saying we want to drive down. We want to drive down energy prices. Okay, they're they're blaming. Oh, first off, you got sanctions now on three OPEC plus members. You got sanctions on Iran, Russia, yeah. and Venezuela. But at the same time, you go to ask OPEC to pump more oil. Okay, that makes no sense at all. On March eighth. The big oil CEOs are going to be drilled before Congress and hammered over their role in climate change. And whether you agree that they should be or not, if you're an oil CEO, you're getting creamed by members of Congress politically. They're literally hauling you to D.C. to humiliate you on national TV. And yet at the same time, wondering why we're not getting more oil drilling. Uh, you, you do wonder how much politics, you know, and regulatory issues, you can't get financing for some of these projects, may fall into this and why we're not getting more oil. We're buying oil from Russia, but we won't buy it from Midland. Moscow over Midland. Yeah. Sorry. Well, um, I know there's a question in there somewhere, Sully. Love you. Not uh, really. Not it was just Sully's the... tired rant. <laughs> I'm not going to take the political bait. I don't think you want me to. I think you want me to talk about oil and gas. And as we talked about yesterday, there is a, a lasting imbalance between supply and demand that's not going to go away anytime soon. So when we look at West Texas Intermediate, I see it on the screen right now at 92.08. It's going to stay there for a while. And these companies, I don't care whether it's Chevron or Matador Resources or whomever, they're going to be generating free cash flow and a lot of it over time as oil stays at these prices. Now, one thing we spoke about yesterday, Sully, was Transocean, and they reported earnings last night. This is very important. Okay, what did the CEO say? He said, as I telegraphed yesterday, that they are seeing demand for their rigs. They're seeing demand for their harsh environment rigs up in the North Sea and for their deep water rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. Yep. And they expect day rates to start going up throughout 2022. That's what happens with high oil prices. It makes the whole energy complex look better. So you can be at the top of the quality spectrum, ExxonMobil and Chevron Texaco. I won't fault anybody for doing that. You can be in the middle where you see a little bit more risk return, like a Kinder Morgan still under value, or you can take a little bit more speculation okay. with the Transocean as I've done. Yeah, well, you just nailed a bunch of different names. Jenny Harrington, here's the thing. Uh, you know, oil prices, and as we said again yesterday on the show, if you look at where oil stocks and oil are, if oil's at 90, oil stocks tend to be up here. They're not. They're like 40 to 50 percent below right. where they usually are when oil is at this price. So it seems to me, logically, that one of those two things, either oil is, or oil stocks, is wildly mispriced historically. Yeah, I think it's the stocks are wildly mispriced. And I'm not sure. I was just um, seeing if we could get a graphic up on the screen. But Goldman did some really terrific work where they take the XLE and all the stocks in it. And they say, hey, based on the share price, this is the price of oil that's incorporated into the share price. And it's like $30 a barrel right now. So I think, you know, I don't think that those 
share prices should expect $90 a barrel because I'm not sure that's sustainable. And we do know that over time, our reliance on fossil fuels is diminishing. But I think that you can own, and this is what we own in our portfolios, we own Chevron, we own Total, we own Shell. Um, we also own a bunch of the midstream companies, but, but the producers, right, Total, Chevron, um, Shell, on those, there should be significant more upside because as oil sustains above that $30 a barrel mark, they are just minting cash that is unanticipated and unexpected in the share price at the current valuation. So yeah, I think there's a lot more upside to be had. That being said, we're up like 70 plus percent over the past year and two months. I don't think there's 70% upside left. I think we've already paid forward some amount of that. So, you know, be excited, but don't be And I'll say, okay, I'll give you a little programming note, too. In a couple of weeks, I'll be in Houston for a huge Zero Week conference, and a lot of the oil CEOs are interested in talking. So a lot to talk about. That's in two weeks' time. How's that for a deep tease? Two weeks out. All right. Well, speaking of teasing, coming up next on Halftime, yeah, there you go. The trades on some of the biggest analyst calls of the day, including... Two Dow components. And before we take a break, let's get a check on the markets. We are seeing some mixed trades now, but look at that. Kind of a relaxing, a rare, calm day on the street of dreams. We'll call this mindfulness. Enjoy it while it lasts, because it probably won't. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Ukrainian President Zelensky has proposed calling a national state of emergency. If approved by the country's parliament today, it could go into effect tomorrow. A draft of the text includes restrictions on the freedom of movement and curbs on the media and the distribution of information. And European Union leaders will hold an emergency summit tomorrow. They're going to meet to discuss next moves after Russia recognized two breakaway regions in eastern Ukraine. Back here in the States, meantime, in Minneapolis, jurors have begun deliberating in the case of three fired Minneapolis police officers charged with violating the civil rights of George Floyd. Prosecutors and defense attorneys spent a full day yesterday recapping a month of testimony. 
And a new U.N. report predicts a significant increase in wildfires around the world. It says that the likelihood of catastrophic wildfires could increase by a third by 2050. Areas once considered safe for major fires will not be immune. And, Brian, that includes the Arctic. I'll send it back to you. Wow, the Arctic. Rahel Solomon, thank you very much. All right, let's move on from fires to markets and some upgrades. Intel upgraded to a market perform from an underperform at Raymond James. The firm saying it's down 30% since its downgrade. It is one of our calls of the day. But, Jenny, you know, listen, a market perform, it's like getting medium fries that are kind of cold, right? Like it's better than no fries, but still it's not like a ringing endorsement. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's better than no fries. So as you all know, when I say I'm early, it's like, you know, my other word for I have been wrong. So, so far we have been wrong on Intel. It's been down, but no time like today to look forward. And I think what this upgrade does is actually it starts to look forward and it it riffs off of their investor day. And what it says is, Intel says they're investing heavily to attempt to regain process superiority. And then, and then the report goes on to say the path to that goal is very long and expensive. And I am okay with that because what I think is Intel is taking their cash flow. They are investing in these foundries. They will make a lot of money on that and they should get to $6 a share. When they get to $6 a share of earnings, if you put a 15 times multiple on it, you have a $90 stock. If that happens in three years or four years, that's a double from here. And if you say to me, Jenny, do you want to make 100% on a stock in three or four years? I will say yes, especially in this market. I don't need to be too greedy. So while it's long and you need to be patient and you need to take lumps, I think we're getting to the point where there is a reasonably clear path ahead and it's an achievable path without getting too crazy. Um, So I actually like this upgrade. It's It's not irrational. It's not too fluffy. It's achievable. Yeah, Jim, your take on Intel. I mean, it's not a ringing endorsement, but um, the stock is down from the downgrade, so I guess it was a good call on their part. So Jenny knows I want to get back into Intel. I sold it a year and a half ago. Jenny, I'm sorry. I love you, but I'm not getting into Intel (laughs) anytime soon. I think your analysis, by the way, is spot on. I think it's spot on. The problem is I just don't think the stock's going anywhere for the next three months at least. The sentiment around the name is just awful. The chart is awful. Sorry, not trying to rain on your parade. I will be back into Intel. It's not going to be next week. The sentiment is just too lousy. You know, Jim, it's what they teach our kids in elementary school. The power of yet. And the power of polite debate and discourse, which we have lost as a country, but is alive and well on this show. Let's move on. Palo Alto (laughs) Networks upgraded to neutral. Another upgrade to neutral. Mom, I've upgraded to a C from J.P. Morgan. Price target raised to 620. Jenny, I'll come back to you on this. Uh, Palo Alto Networks. I mean, cybersecurity is all the rage right now. It is. So this is in our discipline growth strategy. It is expensive. It's trading at 50 times earnings. But I don't know a company where the 20% earnings growth ahead is more certain, especially in an environment where the threat of cyber attacks, particularly with what's going on with Russia, is high. This is a company that you cannot not have as part of your corporate um, digital strategy and protection. So it's just so necessary. It's so important. And the earnings growth is so predictable and in this environment assured. So we're, we're comfortable owning it and think there's more upside. Joe? Joe? Yep, uh, I think both uh, Palo Alto and Fortinet are two names in cyber that you're getting at a discount relative to where they were at the end of last year. Uh, Jenny accurately cites the valuation on Palo Alto. I'll 
uh, bring forth it for tonight probably has a little bit of a stronger balance sheet than Palo Alto. Um, and both of these names running at about $50 billion market cap. Take your pick on which one you want to own, but I certainly would want to own one of them from the fundamental and technical perspective as they both sit at the support of a 200-day moving average. All right, let's move on to another tech name, a big one, by the way. Salesforce reiterated a buy at Deutsche Bank Doll ahead of its earnings next week. Jim, you own CRM, like many tech stocks. Kind of gotten a gut punch here. Your take on the stock and what to ex- what do you want to see or hear next week? Yeah, well, first off, I do own Salesforce. It's five percent of my portfolio, including PayPal and Twilio that are in this sort of hyper growth area. Five percent is not a lot. I'd like to add to Salesforce. Uh, the problem that I have is that it's not so much what they say, it's what happens with interest rates. This is still a fairly high multiple stock, and I do think that the tenure is going to get up to two and a quarter percent. They can't say anything that's going to change that. Uh, But as that happens, that's going to keep a lid on the stock. So even if it popped, even if they had growth rate higher than expected, I'm liable to wait uh, before adding to it. I'm likely to add to it, but not anytime soon, because it's not until the 10-year rises to two and a quarter percent that I think the ceiling comes off the stock. Jim, thank you very much. All right, we have got a lot more to do here on Halftime. Coming up, the big ETFs to watch today, plus... John's latest trades and unusual activity. And of course, all this month, we are celebrating Black History, featuring some of our CBC Financial Advisor Council members. Here's Lee Baker sharing his advice for future leaders. What would I tell future leaders? I'd tell future leaders three things. First of all, learn to have a sense of humor. Because like the old folk used to say, sometimes you're going to need to laugh just to keep from crying. The second thing I'd like to tell future leaders is learn to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations because there's going to come a time when you're making a change and people will prefer the status quo. The last thing I'd like to tell future leaders is to remain focused on the opportunity and not the obstacle. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools
And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani, another powerhouse in the mutual fund business, getting into the ETF business. Let's talk to Holly Framstead. She's the director of ETFs for Capital Group, which owns the American funds. Holly, welcome. Capital Group is set to launch its first six ETFs tomorrow, all of them actively managed. Now, Capital Group is a relative latecomer to this ETF space. Why now? Thank you so much, Bob. And I actually think our time to market is perfect. We don't launch new funds very often. And when we look to bring a new vehicle to market, we're really focused on listening to our clients and understanding if we can meet their unique challenges in the vehicles they're asking for. With recent regulatory change, we believe we are now positioned to package Capital Group's time-tested active management strategies in the ETF vehicle. And so when we think about the six funds that we'll be listing on the New York Stock Exchange tomorrow, all six of them are designed to sit squarely at the core of a client's portfolio. And we believe that by packaging Capital Group's active management in the ETF vehicle, we'll be able to simplify the investment process for countless financial advisors and end investors. You know, the Capital Group and American Funds is very known for active management. You're famous for that, and these are all actively managed. But you see this. The bulk of the money in ETFs these days is going into passive strategies, index strategies. Is, is there any consideration on your part to eventually get into that bigger index space? Yeah, so you're right, Bob. Capital Group has a 90-year track record of delivering above-market returns for our clients and our investors. And so with this suite of products, we intend on packaging our actively managed solutions in the ETF vehicle. You're right that a majority of the ETFs today are index-based, and a lot of that was really based on regulation. And what we've seen over the last number of years is really a proliferation of ever more niche product. So the financial advisors that we speak with that use ETFs are, feel like they're swimming in a sea of complexity. And as a result, we believe that by packaging active management and placing it squarely at the core of an ETF portfolio, we can give financial advisors and end investors time back to service their clients and to focus on um, all of their other ambitions in life. Okay, thank you. We're going to have much more on this whole active versus passive debate, more on the move from mutual funds to ETF, and a lot more on what's hot and what's not in ETFs, including the big Russian-Ukraine crisis, how it's affecting ETFs. That's all coming up on ETF Edge, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Holly will be joined by Dave Naughton, the CIO, Director of Research at ETF Trends. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime back right after this. All right, welcome back. Time now for the Investment Committee. The Flying Jays, as we call them, is set to answer some of your questions. First up, Jim in Michigan, somewhere in the mitten, writes, question for Submariner Jim Labenthal. Do you expect Thermo Fisher to get its mojo back anytime soon, Jim? I, I do. I think there's been a little reset here, which often happens to high-flying stocks. They go through a consolidation phase. Multiple had to come down a little bit, but for the long-term investor, which I am in Thermo Fisher, this is definitely a hold, and if you don't own it, you should add to it. Uh, in an aging demographic for the developed world, what Thermo Fisher does is very much needed, well-managed, well-run company, highly profitable and growing. So, yes, it will get its mojo back. I don't know if it's three weeks or three months, but this is not uh, something you're going to have to wait long for. Yeah, Jenny, a name you own, quick comment. Um, 
we love Thermo, agree with Jim entirely, and own it for the very long term also. Yeah, big, big uh, testing company. And so, Jenny, this one's also you're going to follow mm. up. And this one comes from Bev in Steelville, Missouri. Bev, we love you. And she loves the show. And she cheers when Jenny Harrington is on. And she says a significant part of her portfolio is allocated to high-yielding stocks. She bought Pipeline Williams Companies because of its yield, but finding out that a portion of the dividend is actually ROC. Do you have any tips to make sure that this yield does not include a portion of my original investment? Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Bev. Thank you, Bev. That was so nice. So I think, Bev, your focus shouldn't be so much worrying about the return of capital. That's an accounting methodology to maximize tax efficiency for long-term shareholders. So don't worry about that. Worry about this. Look at the adjusted funds from operations, which are about $3.43 a share, and then the dividend, the distribution, which is $1.70. That is extremely well covered. And what we see is that AFFO, the adjusted funds from operations, they're growing, right? They should grow about single digits range. You've got the dividend growing in the low single digits range. That's what you want to worry about. Don't worry about the construction of, um, of the accounting. Sorry, don't worry about the accounting construction that they use to maximize your tax efficiency. Where you worry about return of capital is maybe on the royalty trust and that might be what's in your mind. So things like Sabine Royalty Trust or Permian Basin Trust, those are a set amount of assets that kind of deplete over time. That's where that return of capital could cut into the meat and muscle. That's not happening in Williams. Just own it and enjoy that big dividend. Own it and enjoy the big dividend. All right, coming up next, John's latest trades and unusual activity. The Halftime Report is back in just two minutes. All right, time for unusual activity. John Najarian, what are you seeing in the options market? Well, Sully, I almost thought it was the end of the world coming uh, because Billy Joel and Metallica are going to be in Vegas where I'm going tonight. But it turns out they're on separate nights, so they're not together. Uh, But as far as Russia and what you talked about top of the show, Sully, and is it the end of the world? No. But it is pushing prices of crude oil higher by the day. So ConocoPhillips, not surprised to see big upside call buying in COP. So I bought those calls right along with the folks at the 92 call strike in March. Second one quickly, Sully, FXI, obviously big cap stocks in China. Um, the, the index was trading for about 35 and a half. They're buying the 3750 calls. I bought those calls as well on unusual activity. 30,000 of those traded so far today, Sully. If you could combine those two acts, Billy Joel Metallica, I mean, enter Sandman at scenes from an Italian restaurant, that would be fantastic. John, thank you. All right, final trades. They're next on Halftime. Time for your final trades. Joe, kick it off. Lululemon, that's growth at a reasonable price. The stock was valued somewhere around 70 times earnings in the uh, end of 2021, now more reasonable at around 40. That's exactly where it traded from 2018 through 2019 when the stock doubled. Jim. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? 
AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 